0: All right, here we go in three, two, one, guys. This is the sports medicine broadcast. We're talking about leadership, and I think even here we're all trying to be leaders. Because Dr. Matt Coots has typed in "married to my best friend Angie for 28 years," and then Dr. Yellen had to type in "married to my best friend or the love of my life for 23 years." And then if you follow John Seco on Instagram, you see all of his all of his stuff with Jen, his fiance, about oh he's the best uh, partner, best baby daddy ever, best fiance, whatever. And so we're all here because if you know know me, you got an email from me that says, I love my wife on the signature of all my emails. So here we are all trying to lead and loving our wives. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about this week. Next week, we're going to talk about leadership at home. But today, we're talking about leadership curriculum. So leadership curriculum in AT. I don't lead and athletic training education program, but Dr. Josh Yellen leads the university of Houston master of athletic training program. And Dr. Matt Cootes just got to FIU and he's working with the DAT program. So we've got some really big leaders in athletic training here to talk about can we teach leadership in athletic training? Should we teach it? How do we do it? Which curriculum do we use? And then of course, John Seco, uh, is you know our resident expert on athletic training or leadership here on the Sports Medicine Broadcast. This one is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash developing leadership. Coming up in this series, obviously, we got this one. We're talking about AT leadership curriculum. And then we're going to talk about leadership at home. Then we're going to talk about lessons learned from Hamilton in leadership. And then we got one more with Amy Hamilton kind of keeping with the theme, talking about the leadership of GLADA and the splitting of two and leading two different districts at once. So again, this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash leadership, and I am the host, Jeremy Jackson. We look forward to you joining in the conversation, sharing your leadership success stories and failures with us. So Dr. Matt Cootes, welcome, and I know you were showing off all of your books beforehand. Uh, there's, there's, I think, about seven of them that you showed us there. And I know you've actually been on Joel's podcast talking about the contextual intelligence. Yeah. Um, so if you want to check out where Dr. Matt Coots talked about uh, contextual intelligence with Joel on athletic training chats, uh, go over and check that out. Without much further ado, John, you are leading the questions. So go for it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Jeremy, for having us. And, and once again, our, now our third year of doing the leadership in athletic training podcast. So, um, uh, Before we kind of get going, and I think this is going to be a really great discussion. We have some really good guests here today. Um, It's interesting because, Jeremy, I did share with you that uh, I am leaving my position at my school, uh, and I am beginning my MBA program, and having a great start with a book like Contextual Intelligence from Dr. Kutz uh, has really helped me start uh, some of those things, because my first class is all about leadership in healthcare. Uh, so it's it's fun to pull together all the lessons we've learned over the last couple of years, uh, pull it together with one of our guests, and and look back at our conversations with other guests like Dr. Yellen. Uh, so without further ado, with our questions, how do we develop leadership in athletic training through curriculum? And I'll open that up to Dr. Kutz first
2: all right so yeah so curriculum is the hardest way to actually learn leadership believe it or not there's some research that was done several years uh, well several decades ago actually and uh, they looked at the best ways to learn leadership and it turns out i'm of course i'm spitball on top of my head so let's see what we can come up with here there were three ways uh, to learn leadership that was uh, trial and error Um, observation of other leaders, and then formal instruction. So those are the three. I actually wrote about this in my dissertation um, many moons ago. But uh, what's interesting about that is of those three ways, again, so trial and error is the best, most effective way, efficient way to learn leadership. Just jump in, try it, and do it. The, the second way was observing other leaders in action. And then, of course, trying it. So that ties into that one. But the third area, which was formal instruction. So that's your explicit knowledge kind of base things where you're sitting in a class, you're learning about concepts, you're learning about theories, you're learning about leadership models, maybe even management techniques. And then and just absorbing them through reading, through lectures, things like that. And, uh, and that's, that's actually a way to learn it. And it is, makes the top three, but it's the least efficient of the top three. And that's just because of the absence of the practice aspect of it. And I think one of the ways that um, athletic training in particular needs to really get back to in terms of developing leaders in the curriculum is allowing the students to actually practice leadership. And not just protecting them from it. One of the things I spoke at, I did a, um, a feature presentation a few years back in, uh, I think it was the St. Louis NATA, uh, might have been New Orleans, I can't remember now. And uh, but we we talked about that. And one of the things that was interesting, right before my session, I was just walking through the um, the exhibit hall, and I overheard a conversation where these. Uh, Athletic trainers were talking about supervising students and, and it was, it just jumped out at me, um, crazy loud because I heard him say, yeah, we try to protect our students from interacting with the coaches. And, uh, and, and I am, and so I actually interrupted their conversation and asked them a few questions about that, just to follow up on that, because that so alarmed me actually. And then I went from that right into my presentation. And I, of course I led with that. It's like, listen, I just came from a conversation that, that we've got to, we've got to begin to unpack how this athletic training thing works. If we want our students to actually be better leaders and better managers and better with interpersonal communication and, and the coach. Um, athletic trainer connection, we've got to actually allow them to interact with our coaches instead of protecting them from interacting with our coaches. And I think that's endemic of the leadership, what I look at as the leadership problem in athletic training. And that's we do a lot of teaching about leadership, but we don't do a lot of practice and uh, trial and error aspect of that. We do it with everything else. You know, we, they've got to have immersion experiences. They've got to have clinical experiences. They've got to have preceptors where they're exposed to live, real situations where they're treating patients, interacting uh, with patient populations and all those things and practicing special tests and doing assessments and, and managing uh, the whole injury process from diagnosis to return to play. We expect them to do that. But when it comes to the management, the leadership kind of stuff, we actually protect them from that and keep them from that other stuff, the non-clinical things. And and I'm a huge, huge fan of, of this idea of promoting and developing athletic training through non-clinical skills that have clinical significance. And leadership is certainly what I call a non-clinical skill with clinical significance. And we've got to learn to integrate that back into the curriculum. So the curriculum can do it if we you know, integrate it together with the other forms of clinical education that we're used
3: to doing. Josh, what about you? Yeah, so, it you know, when you bring up the curriculum, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people know that the KD recently released the 2020 standards, and there's a big difference between the standards that were in place before and the 2020 standards that it's really more of an emphasis on that triangulation between uh, what are we learning didactically meaning in the classroom in the lab and then what are we learning in clinical experiences and really what it comes down to is that it's more outcome based um, and we do a really good job of using these different platforms to um, look at outcomes it, it's, it's very easy to track clinical outcomes right how many clinical exposures are you getting to you know, these different patient populations, how many of this, how many of that, but as Dr. Coates brought up, you know, the interesting thing about leadership is that uh, there are so many different types of leadership, right, that when we talk about is, it, you know, how do, how do we teach leadership in the curriculum, and, and the reason why it's, you know, in my opinion, is that it's so difficult, is that what it really comes down to is, the type of leadership that somebody's going to use is really situational. And that, you know, what that means is that it, it's dependent on the situation that you're in. So, again, this kind of trial by error, throwing people in, um, you know, in the fire, yeah, con- contextual intelligence, <laughs> hashtag plug for the book. Um, yeah. So, right, making sure that we're exposing our students, not just to conversations that, athletic trainers are having with coaches but you know the interesting thing about athletic training is that when you look at if you go to the boc website and you look at the current practice settings that the boc has right now you'll see probably eight different areas and you know only two of those really have to do with sports so you'll see collegiate and professional sports and you'll see intermediate and secondary schools and that's it everything else is Uh, clinic, physician practice, industrial, occupational, uh, law enforcement, government. Um, You know, and there's some uh, dance medicine is in there. So the question I've got is that, you know, as we're looking at leadership, how do we develop good leaders? And one of the things that I've been able to study throughout my career, and it it really was kind of a, um, it was a really, it was a question that I had for my dissertation was what really makes a good leader? And are we really putting people in positions where they can really lead? And are we, are we putting the right people in the right places to do the right things? So there's a, there's a book out there that I read during my doctoral program called The Energy Bus. And that, that book is about putting the right people in the right seats, going in the right direction, and we're all moving in the, in the you know, with the same mission to accomplish the same goal. The military does this really well, right? So if you're going through a military academy, if you're going through a ROTC program, they, they, they really spend a lot of, of time in making sure that their leaders know how to lead. Uh, some, other, some other people that, uh, or other institutions that do this really well are Ivy League schools. And then you've got some kind of liberal art private schools. The reason why I think they do it so well is because they still really capitalize on that problem-solving model, right? So if you're gonna if you're going to get your MBA, right, everybody in business has learned about Six Sigma. Yeah, have you guys heard about that? All right, Six Sigma really starts from that Yale six-step process of problem solving, and so that that is a process. That's one of the components of being a good leader. That you're able to solve complex problems and then you know do I have a mission do I have a vision do I know do I have goals and how do I achieve that so one of the questions that dr. Cuts and I have talked about is, and this was one of the questions that I had during my dissertation is um, you know like for instance if I use Jeremy Jeremy's in a Jeremy's an athletic trainer at a secondary school center so there's a principal of a school right there's an assistant principal of a school if you want to be a principal of a school, they're gonna send you to principal training to learn how to be a principal, to learn how to you know lead the school, to learn how to accomplish mission, vision, goals, objectives, all of this stuff. If you wanna be the CEO of a company, that company is gonna send you a CEO training to accomplish the same things. But in higher education, um, you know, and it's pervasive is that we make some assumptions in, in higher education that just aren't true. And some of those assumptions are you know, you were a good instructor, or maybe you led a, a specific division of an academic program, you know, whatever it is. And so that must research. make you, a, yeah, yeah, you were good at research, you know, you, you, you had good teaching evaluation, whatever it was. And so that must make you a good leader. Those are two very different skills. So the question that I always have is this, if you go to the Katie and you look at, the amount of accredited programs are in the country. There's 289. That's of, of as of September 2021. And then when you go to the BOC, there are 58,000 certified athletic trainers, right? So if you do simple math, and Doctor Cuts corrected me on on my mathematical um, <laughs> equations term. Only because I got
2: busted for it myself. Yeah, it, I mean <laughs> it,
3: it's fine. You know, I'm in I'm in the presence of greatness, and so I I need to really, <laughs> you know, absorb all that. So what it really comes down to is that when you do the mathematical equation, program directors make up like 0.05% of the entire athletic training population, 0.05%. But the way that the athletic training profession is set up is that those program directors, 0.05%, are responsible for the other 99.95%. So if we're not training our leaders to be leaders, how are they training their students to be leaders? So yeah, it goes you know, back I to
2: that's a huge a huge issue, you know, that that you know, you bring up a great point with that and the and this is something that that I think we as curriculum programs, as faculty, as 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 preceptors need to do a much better job of and that's recognizing that reality, that there's such a small, minuscule percentage of athletic trainers who have these leadership positions. And I, and, and of that small percentage, I would argue that not even of well, a, a smaller percentage actually demonstrate leadership the way that um, I would describe an efficient leader. Most of them are administrators and managers. And so that's even a smaller percentage. So that means we've got to start doing something to increase the exposure. I, I think it's a two-pronged approach. You already mentioned one, and that's we've got to do something to begin to train these program directors and these clinical education coordinators more in, in business-oriented leadership. And then we also need to increase the exposure that our athletic training students are having. And I think, and again, I'm, I'm given the benefit of the doubt here, but but I think and I hope that's a big part of interprofessional um, practice. And the big push behind all the standards for interprofessional exposure, interprofessional practice, interprofessional education is to try to increase some of that exposure because I I think in my 27 years as an athletic trainer now, and and looking back with different students and and different alumni and, and asking them over the years, you know, what is it that you wish you would have learned? That's my favorite question to ask my students after the fact when they've been out for a while. You know, what is it that you wish you would have learned when you were here that you that you know now that you didn't then kind of a thing? And without fail, it's an overwhelming majority of the responses. I, I, I'm going to say like 99% of the responses are always a non-clinical skill set. Never, never has anyone said, Oh, I wish I would have learned another way to evaluate the need. I wish I would have learned another, you know, the pivot shift a little bit better, you know, technique wise, I wish I would have learned this. It's always an interpersonal leadership kind of a thing. I wish I would have learned the big one I get is strategic planning. I'm a big big nerd on strategic planning so you know know, when you did your strategic planning module you know I kind of ignored it boy I really wish I would have listened to that more closely because that's that's actually what I'm asked most to do my most uncomfortable situations in the profession is when I'm invited in to sit on a committee sit on a planning group sit on this and they're expecting me to contribute and all I can do is volunteer to tape their ankles you know it's like wait a second this is this is we're trying to grow our profession, the reputation of our profession. And if we think adding clinical skills to that is gonna do it, we are sorely mistaken. We need to add these interpersonal skills. It's the, you know, I, I'm on a huge soapbox right now. And, and speaking of, you know, Katie and the BOC who are other great organizations. And, and I have tremendous respect uh, for the organizations and for the leaders in those groups. And one of the things that I've always kind of harped on which I think is kind of lost in the minutiae is as our five practice domains, you know, the BLC puts out our five practice domains and we, we know them And the fifth one is healthcare administration. That's so domain five task. One of that has to do with, with leadership and business uh, proficiencies and things like that. And then it lists skills. So it's domain five task. One item S On the list, if you look at the the role delineation study and the practice analysis, says athletic trainers must, and the the word must there is critical because years ago they would distinguish between must and should, you know, they must demonstrate skills in appropriately practicing leadership for different people in different situations. And that blows my mind because that's one of the things that I think we do the least of. And it's one of the things that's right in our practice analysis is something an athletic trainer must be able to do. Not just knowledge of, they have knowledge of areas and skill in areas. And that's what's critical for me. And we've limited so much of our leadership training, you know, back to the original question, John, of the curriculum. We've limited so much of our leadership training and our leadership education to knowledge-based Uh, information. Well, you got to have knowledge in these things when really the the way the BOC lays it out is it says you have to have skills in, which means you have to be able to demonstrate them and they can be observed and measured. So, you know, I, I go back to that statement I made earlier of where are our skills in and where in the entry level curriculum Are we teaching our athletic training students to demonstrate leadership that is appropriate? So that means diverse. That means changing. That means they can change hats when they need to. That's appropriate for different situations and different people. You know as well as I do, I mean, everybody recognizes the fact that, well, when I'm talking to an athlete, I I approach the athlete one particular way, when I'm talking to the parent, or an administrator or a coach. I have to use different skills and that's lost somewhere. And this is what even contextual intelligence is about in my mind is how do do you recognize that you're changing your audience? Do you recognize all the dynamics and all the variables that change when you change your audience? And of course it's intuitive and we understand that that makes sense to us but how do we do it? What are we looking at? How do we develop the skill set to be able to influence anybody, anywhere, anytime? Which, in my opinion, is what leadership is all about, and maintaining that that uh, leverage in, in a particular situation. So, I think I think athletic training has the right ideas, and I'm and I'm I'm proud of our profession. I love our profession, uh, but I also think we're 20 years behind. Um, to be honest with you, with what other healthcare professions are doing relative to leadership. And if you look at the literature, which I have done, um, you know, nursing is way out there, pharmacy is way out. Nursing is, by the way, in my opinion, light years ahead of everybody else. So the best place to go for leadership in healthcare right now is the nursing literature. Um, Then you've got physical therapy and pharmacy. Medicine is doing a quick catch up right now. There's so much neat stuff coming out in medicine on leadership training, because they've really got on the bandwagon of of, uh, this idea of physician reputation, physician practice, community engagement, doesn't rest on the physician's clinical ability or ability to diagnose, it rests on their leadership. And they're starting to recognize that even medical schools are starting to develop specific curriculums now Uh, for physician leadership training and, and, and athletic training has, we're not even talking about leadership except on a podcast every once in a while here and there. And it's a chapter in a book, you know, and, um, and I think we're making a big mistake as a profession by not putting a lot of at least research emphasis and more things into this basket. So I know that the profession is growing and it's being stretched and we're doing things we've never done before. We're in, uh, you know, managing, you know, a global pandemic. And I understand all those things. And of course, that, that plays into the factor, but I really like to see the profession begin to begin to be focus a little bit more on some of these non-clinical skills with clinical significance.
1: So how do we do that? How do we go about, or can we even teach leadership in such condensed education programs like the masters in athletic training programs like the dat programs and then how do we measure such an objective subject because there really is no measures right of, of is this person you know reaching these marks of leadership because it is such a uh, an ongoing subject to learn and practice, can we teach it at the level at that level? And, and how do we measure those things? Yeah,
2: you know, Josh said a minute ago that, and he's absolutely right. You know, there's so many different definitions and metrics of what leadership is and how it works. And, and I'll throw it over here to Josh here in a second, but one of the things that I think Josh hit on there was this idea of, it, we get scared. I think the program directors and the curriculum man, uh, clinical education corner. we kind of get scared because it is intimidating going to the literature and looking at, all right, so how am I going to define leadership? You've got to make that decision, first of all. Most of us, I think, default to defining it as more management administration stuff, which is a mistake. Um, and then so we, we get through that and we look at all this stuff. It's like, oh my God, leadership is so broad. It's so many different things. And so how do I measure that down? So the first step, in my opinion, is Make a decision, you know, over what, how you're going to define and describe leadership. And then there's, there's tools out there and there's metrics you can use to step, to step things up. But let's also understand this. Leadership is not like a clinical skill. Remember, I'm referring to it as a non-clinical skill with clinical significance. So it's not like making an ice bag, mastering a, a psychomotor proficiency or something like that, where you can just practice, do it, and check it off. Leadership doesn't evolve like that. It doesn't grow like that. It's, a, it's, it's, a, it's an identity. It's a way of being. So it's about repeated exposures. So instead of the outcome is leadership, where it's like, okay, so we we're going to have, we've got this curriculum, we've got this sequence, we've got these extracurricular things set up and these clinical exposures. And you're going to start this. And after six months of exposure, we're going to check off the leadership box. And you have successfully completed your leadership module, your leadership proficiency, and you're done. And you never have to work on it again. Well, that's ridiculous. So one of the things that I recommend is instead of a an, an concrete or objective outcome of leadership behavior, it should be a certain number of leadership exposures. So our goal in a particular curriculum is well, let's have every student have at least six. I'm just making this up, by the way. Just you know, six leadership exposures in a semester, and then after each semester or each experience, they have to write some sort of of journal entry or 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 essay or some kind of. Of reflection paper on their leadership experience and know that developing a leadership philosophy, which I'm a huge fan of, which is another objective I think you can add to that list is something that's ongoing over a period of time, but I'm going to throw it back to Josh and let him answer that.
3: So here's the thing about, you know, where we are in professional master's degree programs, right? By um, what is it? By 2024, I think it is. There, there are no more undergraduate professional programs, right? Everybody's professional master's degree, and everybody's going to be accredited under these new 2020 standards. Okay, when you look at the 2020 standards, the shift has really gone more towards um, outcomes, right? Like, how are you documenting this? And so most program directors, when you talk to them, how how are you going to maintain your accreditation? What it is that you're going to do? We're going to go down the um, different standards, and you're going to make sure that you can assess the standard didactically, whether that it's going to be in you know, the classroom, whether that's going to be in the lab, and whether you, you can assess it during clinical experiences. And so that's really what people are focused on. And I would argue that that is a managerial task, that you're going down, you're kind of checking the boxes, and you're saying, okay, in this class, we're going to check off these standards right. and these orders, and I can go and I can use a platform like Typhon to track all clinical skills. And the students are going to go and they're going to, okay, check the bot. I did it, right? In our program, it is they observed, they assisted, they performed. Great. We know that they've performed all this. So in the curriculum right now, I want to say it's like standard 67, 68, where it really talks about self-assessment. And one of the things that come up in self-assessment is the SWOT analysis, right? SWOT. What are the strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? And so I always have my students do a SWOT analysis on themselves, and then I have them do a SWOT analysis on something else. And so when we're looking at leadership, there's a transition of um, looking at, okay, well, how do I go and check the boxes of, okay, how, how did I move this pile of beans to that pile of beans? And we're really talking about leadership. We're talking about people. And, you know, people are just so different. All of us have different motivations. All of us have different fears. All of us have different anxieties. And the really good leader, in my opinion, understands how to uh, motivate those people to move in the same direction at the same time with the same goal and the same objectives. So to try to operationalize leadership and say, okay, well, this is how we're gonna do it, maybe. Maybe not. Right. The, the, the answer is, and then this is a, a famous, you know, you can ask all my students, it's a famous quote, uh, famous phrase that I have. It depends. Right. So, you know, a lot of people will say, well, what happens? You know, let's say a clinical scenario. What happens to this? What happens to that? It depends. It depends on what are you seeing? You know, if we're talking about clinical skills, what are you seeing? What phase of healing are they in? What are their goals? What are their objectives? What all those other things are only two constants in the profession. One is when somebody dies, start CPR, and when they're injured, we know that we can apply ice and some compression, elevation for about the first 12 hours. Everything else after that is it depends, right? And that that it depends is also um, relative to leadership. So to ask how do we teach it in the curriculum, it's so autonomous to different programs, right? Each per and that that's the thing is that it really has become very autonomous to individual programs whereas before there were a lot of the standards that were very prescriptive do this do that follow this follow that now it's very autonomous so when we're looking at you have to remember the professional master's degree is designed for right that student to enter the athletic training profession it's not designed for that student to enter the athletic training profession and immediately take on a leadership position So how do we get more training well that's where the dat programs come in you have to remember the the dat is an advanced practice post-professional clinical doctorate and that's different than an academic terminal degree and so you know one of the things like for instance um my doctorate is in educational leadership and i have um some electives in educational law and the reason why why i went down that route was because when i was looking at my the people that mentored me They all had one thing in common. They all had doctorates in either ed leadership, org leadership, curriculum instruction, higher education administration. It was something along those lines. And so I thought to myself, why reinvent the wheel? Uh, You know, if I want to run a program, clearly this is the route to go. Why? Because it teaches you to be a leader in higher education and it teaches you how to solve complex problems. So, you know, I I think it's a combination of all that. So to say, how do we teach it in the curriculum? That is such a large and complex um, question to ask. And I think that there are ways that you can do it. I think that there are ways that you can do it formally. And I think there are ways that you can do it informally. So some of the ways that we have it in our program informally is, you know, we have a we have an athletic training student society. If a student wants to take on a leadership position, you know, as an officer in that society, do it. I created liaison positions in my program, meaning that you know they're going to be there's going to be a student from the second year cohort and there's going to be a student from the first year cohort. They're going to serve as liaisons, those direct extensions of me and the program. Um, you know, a student can take on a position on a committee, uh, it, it, all these other ways that they can observe and um, uh, demonstrate leadership. Right. So those are kind of informal ways. How do we do it formally? all right, well, there are ways that we can, you know, put in the curriculum, there are ways that we can teach it. But again, going back to what Matt said, how do you, when everything is outcome based, how do you go about saying, okay, leadership was performed? And so if the question is leadership was performed, my follow-up question to that is define leadership. There are so many different definitions of leadership. Right that it's so difficult to say, all right, you know, like for instance, if I use a, a specific orthopedic test, I, you know, you'd be able to tell me the sensitivity, the specificity, uh, likelihood ratios, validity, reliability, all that stuff. If I were to say, do that for leadership, it's extremely difficult to do. You so it, do it's, it. you, you can't. Yeah. Right. One of
2: the things right. that I do when I work, I do a lot of work with, with non-athletic training companies and organizations and one of the things I do to address that issue Josh exactly is I walk in and one of the very first exercises I do is I hand out a bunch of sticky notes to everybody and I say all right here's here's the, the, the exercise we're going to do pick a big blank wall and I say everybody on your sticky note I want you to write down three words that start with the letter L that have to do with leadership in any capacity you know I do LEAD so lead Three words are with the letter L, three words that start with the letter E, three words are with the letter A and, and D that all have to do with leadership. Just a single word, no explanations, anything like that when you're done, go put your sticky note on the wall. So they take 10 minutes and they do that and they walk over to the and they put them on the wall. And invariably, you know, we end up with hundreds of words and very there's redundancies, of course, like D, a common one, as several people will write, well, dependable. All right, well, leaders should be dependable. And and L, people will write the word like loyal or things, things like that. And they'll write all these words. And we've got a wall full of words, literally hundreds of words. We eliminate the redundancies, leaves us with still hundreds of words. And then I start listing off the words of, okay, so somebody said that this word has to do with leadership, this word has to do with, does anybody disagree with any of these words? No one ever disagrees because every word you write up there, whether it's loyal, dependable, energetic, excited, you know, whatever it is, the words that they write all have to do with everything can be tied to leadership somehow in some way. So I look at that, it's like, I oh, so we've got now a huge task, everybody. Before we can go on with this training and this workshop and get us thinking about leadership, we have to have an operational definition of what leadership is. So we have all these words up here. We just kind of did a mini focus group study here, and all of us agree that all 374 words that are on this board represent leadership in some way. So now, take these words down, come up here, write down these words, and come up with a single definition that encompasses and encapsulates all 374 words that are up here on the board. You know, and they, they just look at me and laugh because it can't be done. And I'm trying to make a point to them and I say, listen, there's no way to encapsulate the concept of leadership in a single definition. And I think that's what you're getting at, Josh. And I think that's really important for us to understand when we talk about measuring and objectifying leadership you know, it's funny you say that it depends thing, because I actually have a, a, a little lecture actually prepared on the wisest people among us answer every question with it depends. You know, it depends is the best answer to have. It's actually the answer that experts give uh, to questions, because it depends um, is is a cop out for the novice, but a real answer for the expert. And that's, and what I'm, and I make that distinction. I said, when you say it depends, you better know what it depends on. It's one thing to say, well, it depends because you're skirting the issue and because I don't know the answer. It's another thing to say it depends and then say all the things that it depends on. And it's really what we need to be doing in our leadership development and athletic training. It's, it's I don't think, you know, I think you're right, Josh. I don't. I don't think we can have, well, there might be some, but I think the specific measurable outcomes related to leadership are, as you say, without a question, management, administration-oriented things. But when it comes down to leadership, I think our job as educators, and I'm just talking out loud now, I'm just making stuff up here, but I think our job as educators uh, in athletic training is to really get our students and our, our proteges, our mentees to be able to answer the it depends question As an expert, you know, answer that question. Well, here's what it depends on because that's really what even when I write and talk about contextual intelligence. uh, The foundational aspect of contextual intelligence is being able to diagnose your environment right same way we would diagnose somebody shows up and says hey I've got lateral elbow pain well you're going to go through a process to narrow down, to get to a differential diagnosis, right? And you're gonna ask certain questions. You're gonna take a certain history. You're gonna look for certain, you're gonna observe a certain way. You're gonna palpate certain spots. You know, you're gonna do certain things to get to that differential diagnosis. We need to do the same thing with leadership. It's like, all right, so I need to walk into an environment, into a situation and be able to diagnose the situation, diagnose the leadership need here by going through a similar process and that's and and what that means to me is identifying as many variables as possible in the situation that is playing on the current context or on the current situation and so that question or answer of it depends is is a real is a real answer and it needs to be we need to get our students to the place where they can say it depends and then identify and list several of the factors in which their answer depends on. And I think that's the way we, t- in my opinion, that's the way we should be teaching leadership in athletic training, because I think we have a real, uh, and it's the difference here, because we're talking about a philosophical construct. Leadership is a philosophical construct versus everything else we do in athletic training is a, is a hard skill, you know, it's a technical skill. And I really believe athletic training is in a crossroads right now, a philosophical conundrum, crossroads, whereas everything that we've built, everything that we've done has been based on competency-based development. Leadership is not a competency-based construct. Uh, Even though you're gonna go out there and Google leadership and leadership competencies, you're gonna find a, a litany of different studies and models and things on the competencies of a leader. But again, the list is limitless. It can go, every everything you do can be qualified as a leadership competency. So by virtue of that, there really aren't any. So it's, it's, the, it's the idea that we've got to begin to think about the philosophical tension that's going on. We want to create a rubric for leadership. Listen, there's not a rubric for leadership. It's just, there just isn't one. You can't because every situation, remember what the BOC said in the practice analysis, we gotta, pract, we gotta have skills in practicing leadership that's appropriate to different situations and different people. That means you're gonna have to have an infinite number of rubrics because every interaction of every individual person in whatever situation they're in is different every single time. There's an infinite number of variables that affect leadership outcomes. And, and so you're going to have to have infinite number of rubrics, which is ridiculous. So that means we've got to think about it differently. It's not an outcome. It's not a rubric. It's not a clinical competency. It's not something that you can measure like that. It's a, it's a lifestyle. It's a way of living. It's a way of approaching the world. And we'll talk about it at the KD conference, uh, but we're going to talk about the ontological leader. And that's really what we're getting down to. The bottom line of all this is leadership has to be. About who you are—it's an identity piece. When I introduce myself as an athletic trainer, it's because an athletic trainer is part of my identity. It's who I am, um, and and it's just as as a man, as an athletic trainer, as a husband, as a father—those are part of my identity, right? So when I introduce myself as a leader, it should be similar to that. It's just something of who I am, um, and that again goes to. A, uh, just developed over my way of thinking, the framework of which I approach life, how I answer questions like what is leadership? That's huge. So I'm talking too much. Go ahead, John. I, I, I like
1: I like that it depends. And it's, to me, I start thinking about it. It's the, you know, when we talk to young athletic trainers and you, you give them the okay to say, I don't know, it's not a cop-out, right? It's saying, right. I'm going to go back and find the answer or giving part of your answer as as the it depends. What it does is it opens you up to humility because you don't know the exact answer at that moment. And that's definitely one of those things that we look at as a leadership skill is, is your ability to be humble in moments where you need to be and not be always the leader because you're not ever going to know all the answers to everything. And that's so important, and that that kind of goes back to the it depends. I don't know. It's allowing yourself to say, I'm humble, and I need to take a moment to grow from this. It, it opens right. you up to be, uh, you know, a little bit of a fool to give yourself the ability to grow and and to learn. And then which is gonna turn itself into the ability to lead others too. So uh, saying those things, like you said, is not a cop-out. It's a way to learn and, and, and to lead in the future. You may have to take a step back to lead the next time around.
2: Let me, uh, let John, me say some good comments to here. Oh, go ahead, Josh.
3: I, I was gonna say, um, so if I follow that, you know, it depends, right? a lot of what matt was talking about was developing these algorithms so here's an example that i give my students but you know by the time they go and you know they're about to graduate from our program they're in their last class they're preparing for the board certification exam all these other things they've gone through these really hard ridiculous classes they've learned close to a thousand different things that relate to all the different domains of athletic training right and so I go back and I say, all right, think back to your first semester in, in the program, that first summer. And in that first summer, they've got an anatomy class, they've got an emergency medicine class, they've got their first gen med class, right? And if I were to ask you then, somebody's got left shoulder pain, based on what you knew at that point, your answer would probably be, oh, it may be some sort of cardiac event, maybe something with the spleen, you know, something along those lines. But now that you're, you know, you've gone through five other semesters, and you, you have all these other possibilities. It goes back to what Matt was talking about in terms of differential diagnosis, right? And so if you ask them now, you know, at, at the end of that curriculum, all right, somebody's got left shoulder pain. What is it? What's the answer? It depends. It depends on all these different things, right? right? And that's what, that's, that's what makes it so difficult to try to operationalize and define leadership that's is the joy that, and
2: pain of leadership. You know, yeah, is that like <laughs>
3: develop an algorithm for leadership. Right. You can't. Right. Right. I mean, you can come up with things like, for instance, if I pull up, I mentioned the Yale six step process of problems. So I'll put it up there. I don't know if you guys can see it. Right. So it's like define the problem, you know, root cause, all that other stuff. Right. And what's really interesting is that when you go and you kind of replace the words, that's how we solve things in science and that's how we solve things in medicine. We just changed some words a little bit, right? That's it. So we're all trained to think that way. And so to be a good leader, you have to be a good follower. And you know, when do you, when is it appropriate to follow? It's appropriate to follow when you're young. And I think one of the problems that we, we have in the profession is that we take people that aren't quite ripened yet. And we thrust them into leadership positions when really it's really we thrust them in the leadership positions because in our minds they're more management and administrative it's not you gotta remember leadership is about people
2: leadership is not volunteerism and i think that's one thing that our profession has messed up and i and i go toe-to-toe with anybody on that who wants to argue with me but uh, we have we have misplaced the concept of leadership with volunteerism and i think so much of when we think about, well, get into leadership and get into leadership. Well, how? Well, volunteer for this committee, volunteer for that committee, serve on this. Now, I'm all about service. Service is critical. We never outgrow our need to serve um, our entire lives. So we definitely need to do that. But volunteerism is not the, the training ground for leadership. It's Volunteerism is a training ground for position and rank. In an organization, but not leadership. So I'll I'll leave that there and go ahead, Josh. I interrupted you. Sorry.
3: Well, that's all right. I'm getting an idea of what it's going to be like on Friday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, right along the lines of what he said. Right, you Talk about service. Right, servant-based leadership is a is a is a theory of leadership that holds a lot of weight. Right, like look, the the best type of leader is a servant. Right, you're there to serve others. And then going back to higher education, something we said before, and we're going to tie leadership into management in the business. And a lot of educators get upset when I say this. Education is a business. Period. End of story. It is a business. And it's such a unique business that the student is our customer, our product, and our asset. Yeah, John, you're heading into the MBA. All right. When you're done with your MBA, come back to me and tell me what other business did you learn about where the customer, the product and the asset are all the same thing. You're not gonna be able to find it. So we have to be doing it so unique that we are able to take somebody and transform them into people that can take on, um, the topography of healthcare now, right? And so I'll give you two case studies. Um, And they both really kind of had the genesis at the same time. One is athletic training, right? And the other one is physician assistant. One is more accepted in the medical model than the other. How come? That's a great, it's a great question, right? Why? They're both a professional master's degree. They both um, are there as extenders of the physician, right? They both under they both work under uh, physician delegation. They both work under physician directives. They both work under standing orders. Why is one more accepted in the medical model than the other? What happened along the way? That's a really good case study.
1: I think we could find a lot of answers on Twitter.
3: <laughs> I think we could. <laughs> Maybe. A lot
1: of opinions on that. Not, I guess not yesterday. The most
2: one is it's just the title.
3: <laughs> yeah, I don't
1: know. I, I want Go to ahead. talk about your responsibilities. And I, I know it, we're going to have to wrap in a few. Uh, I, I want to talk about what your responsibilities are to your programs. And what are the differences when it comes to developing leaders within your programs? Because we're both in, you're, you're both in two different programs. Uh, and, and two different types of programs so i want to i want to touch talk about those differences but let's find some similarities
3: so but, I'll, uh, I'll i'll start off right one of the first things that i tell people when they walk in is um, i'm i'm interested in producing leaders and i'm interested in producing agents of change we'll make you into a a good athletic trainer and we're going to give you that framework to continue on to make yourself into a great athletic trainer. But I'm looking for people that are really interested in becoming leaders and becoming agents of change. Because we're at a crossroads once again in the profession, where as you start to look at where we're going and some of the avenues that are opening up, we really need people that are gonna understand how to lead people, how to create change how to solve complex problems, not just in higher education, not just in, you know, the remote settings of athletics, but we're talking about healthcare, right? How, how are we gonna solve population health? How are we gonna solve, you know, the, the lack of primary care physicians? How, how are we gonna contribute? How are we gonna solve that? And where is it that we're gonna go into and, you know, what. What settings are you going to practice them? So that's what I'm looking at. And I'm always looking at, are they going to be good leaders? Are they going to be good agents of change? And I'm always going to give them an opportunity to just take a hack at it. You know, part of leadership is, you know, you're going to think, you're going to think you know what leadership is, and then you're going to go give it a shot and you're going to get knocked on your butt and be like, this totally backfired. Right. How come? Well, because, you know, when you're working with groups, each member of that group has different motivations, have, has a different psyche, has different anxieties, have, has different fears, right? All those other things play into it. So that leader needs to know who to push, who not to push, when to push them, how to push them. What is the feedback, right? Does everybody get, a, you know, a clap and a blue ribbon? Does everybody get yelled at? Does everybody, you know, what, what ends up happening? It, this isn't one-size-fits-all by any stretch of the imagination, which is different than management. Mm-hmm. And so many people confuse management and leadership. They think they're the same, and they're not. Management is, is fairly easy, right? I'm going to check the box, and I'm going to do these little things to make sure that you know the, the Excel spreadsheet matched up. But now I'm dealing with people, and I need to be able to influence And I need to be able to motivate the people to move in the same direction at the same time with the same goals, same vision, same objectives. To accomplish what it is that I as a leader want. To develop sustainability. So that's one of the things I'm always interested in. And along the way, I'm going to give them opportunities to do it. So that's what I'm always interested in.
2: You know at at FIU we're in a we're in a different situation because when our students come to us they're already good athletic trainers some of them are even already great athletic trainers so this is this is the thing I love about FIU and and the DAT program that we have here is we have a DAT program that is specifically focused on educating and training good and great athletic trainers to be leaders I mean our focus we are we we're probably I don't know this as a fact, so nobody yell at me or shout me down or anything. But we're probably the only DAT program that doesn't have a clinical emphasis. So we're a non-clinical. We're we our emphasis is domain five of the standard. So we we have specializations in entrepreneurial leadership, uh, global leadership, and academic leadership. And we get students in; they select one of these tracks, and we specifically focus on helping them answer the it depends question with all the variables on which the response should depend on. So it's about identifying these different variables that play into leadership decisions and leadership roles. So we have a very um, specific and focused and intentional curriculum that develops leadership behaviors for the athletic trainer. Because in my opinion, the way, what we need to do as a, as a profession is advance or how we can advance the profession is by developing these leadership skills we we're good at the clinical piece we've established that we're trusted by our clients we're trusted by our patients and we've got physician support and ministers everybody is starting to know now what an athletic trainer does and what the value they bring to the table there's still work that remains to be done on that front but uh but at least now it's not like huh, what what's an athletic trainer and, um, and now we need to begin to develop the leadership pace. So at FIU, one of the things that we're doing is very purposefully and very intentionally taking athletic trainers who are already experienced, already practicing, and developing leadership behaviors and leadership skills in them so that they can go and do what Josh was just saying, go out there and solve the problems of the world because I'm a huge proponent and huge fans that athletic trainers add value, not just in healthcare, not just in the sports community, but we can actually add value to the non-sports community. I went and got my PhD, for example, from a business school. And so I just, the approach that I have, you know, it's, It's, um, you know, physicians add value, not just in healthcare in their communities, they serve on PTA boards, and they serve on all these other boards and things, nurses do it, why can't athletic trainers do it, we need to start adding value to society as a whole, and the way to do that within our clinical space is learn leadership and add value in that space, so that's what we do at FIU. A little bit of what we do: we teach entrepreneurship, how to start a business, how to run a business, how to uh, evaluate risk, how to how to uh, start those things globally. Of course, I'm a huge proponent of global. Um, I'm the incoming chair of the international committee, and so a global framework is a huge part of of my my professional work. And and we can add value not just in the United States but abroad. You know, I mean, I think that's critical. So we do that, and also we have an academic. Focus where we're giving our students real exposure to leadership scenarios that they want to encounter, and we just create those experiences for them, and then ask them to think about them. And that's the that's the uh, the program. So, well, that answers your question, John, or not? But
1: yeah, I think that that that's a great answer to those questions. And uh, I, I know we can keep rolling. And I know, and Dr. Yellen, you have to head off to class in a, yeah, in a minute I here. To.
3: I have to go uh, corrupt some minds.
1: (laughs) So my challenge real quick before you go, because this is such a great topic, I want to go back to the beginning. Okay. Josh, one minute or less, your definition of leadership.
3: Mm, One minute or less. Um, I think a good leader is somebody that um, has the ability to create a mission, vision, goals, objectives can assemble a good team based off of what we call strength-based leadership. And that strength-based leadership is, right, it's, it's very internal. So I know what my strengths are and I know what my weaknesses are. And so I'm going to start assembling the team based on strengths and weaknesses. And then with that, I have a very clear definition of where we want to go in terms of that vision. And I'm able to move uh, those people in a way that they buy in to what it is that I want to accomplish and make them think it's because they also want to accomplish it. Good job, Dr.
1: Kutz, you're
2: up. So for me, it's always important to start with what leadership is not. Leadership is not being the most productive person in the room. And I think that's a huge mistake we make, whether it's teaching scores, whether it's research, whether it's whatever it is. So it's not that. So based on that, my answer has to be for me, a leader is someone who navigates complexity by identifying as many variables that play on the situation as possible. And that's, that's as simple as it gets for me.
3: So I, I want to leave you with this, John, right? Because we even talk about athletic training for quite a bit. And I want to leave the listeners with this. Um, when you look at the BOC practice settings, right? Think about this for a second. And I, I'm going to go back to the. The two professions right physician assistant athletic training you look at practice settings. uh, and, And anybody can look this up on the on the BOC website professional collegiate sports is one section right that's that's one option secondary and intermediate schools another options right and we can say all right, we know what leaders are in those settings. But then the third one is sports medicine clinics, how do we develop leaders for sports medicine clinics. Hospital, ER, and rehab clinics, how do we develop leaders for that setting? Occupational settings like Amazon, NASA, FedEx, Mazda, Ford, um, military, government, law enforcement. How do we develop leaders in those settings? Physician offices. So we go back to, you know, value. I think there was an article that was put out by Forrest Peck not long ago. And I I want to say, you know, they discovered like there was a, Something like a three to seven dollar return on investment for every dollar invested in an athletic trainer in the physician practice setting. I may be making that number up. But if you average that, it's like $5, $5 return on investment for each dollar, right? Each dollar spent on an athletic trainer. So what's the value in that? And then dance and fine arts, right? And so every time we turn around, there's a new setting of athletic training that's coming about. So going back to the whole discussion of Yeah, we can operationalize leadership in terms of higher education. We can try to operationalize leadership in terms of athletics. But what about the other um, one, two, three, four, five, six settings that the BOC lists currently that have nothing to do with sports? How do we do that? It gets so complex.
2: That's why it's got to broaden, Josh. That's why our definition and understanding of AT and leadership within AT has got to broaden. We have to, we have to reconfigure and reconceptualize the whole notion of leadership if we're going to be successful at promoting the profession. The way we're teaching leadership right now is about promoting the individual within a job, and I think that's a mistake. The way we need to start teaching leadership is as a vehicle and a process to promote the profession. And I'll just—that's my—that's it. I won't say anymore. <laughs>
1: Jeremy, you have any questions to, to finish?
0: No, I think in year one, we talked to Brandy Curry about leadership and she said, leadership is influence, nothing else, nothing more, nothing less. And that's from John Maxwell. And, you know, Josh said that as well. Leadership is influence. And I, I still need to look a little bit more about the whole manager manager versus leader. Um, and so I'll look at that and maybe we'll discuss that in some of the upcoming ones. But for now, I think that's good. There's There's a lot of really good information in there, and, and I look forward to seeing what we have the rest of this month as well. This is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash developing leadership. Uh, I know Dr. Coots is famous. Like you said, all the books. He's on lots of different social media. Um, Matt, what is the very best way to get a hold of you?
2: Uh, this is my website. Wow. So It
0: has all of his ways to get a hold of him via social media, email, Facebook, anything like that right yep. there on matthewcoots.com. Check that out. Dr. Josh Yellen, best way to get a hold of you.
3: Probably track me down through my UH website, jbyellen at central.uh.edu. There
0: you go. So email him. I'll have all those in the show notes again at sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash developing leadership. Mr. John Cico. Uh
1: my my website is twitter.com <laughs> slash J O H N C I E C K O. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me, is just via Twitter. Uh, we're we're there all the time, so.
0: John, I I need you to share that picture of you and Jen and David with the laser lights and the yes. sweaters when you reshare this podcast because it, <laughs> it's just too epic. All right, <laughs> so look for that from John on Twitter. And then you'll definitely want to follow him. Uh, John is a big fan of Myotech. And just recently, Paul shared some of the shortages and outages of things, products that are being held up. So make sure you get your crutches. There's a couple of other things that he shared as well that we talked about in the AT Inventors series. Uh, John, any other parting words on Myotech?
1: No, they're, they're a great company to work with. Uh, incredibly personalized and uh, incredibly efficient when it comes to ordering and receiving supplies uh, unlike some other companies that will send you boxes of uh, 300 rolls of loose tape they'll get you what you need so
0: yeah so one of the things that we talked about with paul was their small size allows them to pivot and move with the changes of time so you know they can uh, adjust their processes and kind of be a leader in that way so check out myotech myotech uh, store.com or uh, you can go to sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash myotech, and if you're ordering for your own self, there's a discount. Usually through a school budget, you're not going to get that discount kind of thing anyway. So for Jeremy Jackson, host of the Sports Medicine Broadcast, Dr. Matt Kutz, Dr. Josh Yellen, John Seiko, and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks.
3: Thanks, guys.